Good morning, everybody. Special treat to be with you all today. Uh, We're in the middle of a sermon series this summer called This Speaks to Me, and um, months ago, Phil asked uh, various teachers to think about their favorite passage of scripture, um, which was a little difficult for me. Because I thought of, obviously, all the ones that have spoken to me over the years that have meant so much to me personally. Uh, And the one I kept coming back to again and again that I wanted to teach from was the first two verses from Romans 12. Um, And that's probably because I think I I have inserted this text into my life um, more frequently, I think, than any other text. Uh, As I've followed Jesus, this has been one I have returned to again and again and again. And if you... um, have been involved in youth ministry in any capacity, I insert this passage into as many sermons as humanly possible as well. So in hopes that by the time a student graduates high school, uh, they could quote this back to me. Um, I love this passage. Uh, I think it speaks to to worship in a way that I feel like I can get my hands around, um, which is why it's become such a favorite for me. Uh, I feel like it puts some teeth to what it means to follow Jesus. So uh, you can turn there in your pew Bible, or if you brought your Bible, it's actually also going to be on the screen. And and Paul wrote this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, I I think these two short verses have a wealth of information in there, and I want to just talk a little bit about worship today. I think that's kind of a a loaded word. I don't know what comes to your mind when when you hear the word worship. Um, I obviously, like you, I'm sure, think of Sunday Um, I think of an hour or two spent with people I know and love, and we come together to to honor God and to glorify him and to be kind of built up for the week coming. Um, I think of music. I think most people, probably that's their first knee-jerk reaction when they hear hear the word worship, is they think of music. Uh, But there's a lot more to worship than an hour on a Sunday and a song. Uh, And this has been uh, a text that has reminded me of that over the years. And let me preface this by saying, I'm going to talk a little bit about practically what this can look like in our everyday lives and put a little bit of teeth to this, I think, this morning. But at no point am I going to suggest that any of us can earn our way to Jesus. At no point am I trying to say that if you do enough, that you can earn kind of a gold star or a cookie from Jesus. Uh, I don't think that that... that We have an example of that in scripture, and that is not what I'm talking about today. Worship is to be a response to what God has already done for us, and we often confuse that. We flip that around, and we think that if we can perform well enough that we can earn God's approval and blessing, but we already have his blessing. We are already his beloved. He already delights in us. So as I talk a little bit about practically what a a life of worship could look like, hear that. Please don't put the cart before the horse, um, as I think we, we can tend to do. Uh, and, and, and even Paul knows that, um, and this passage can't be pulled out of the larger context. 
Um, the very first word in our text is therefore, uh, which you probably noticed, which, which means basically Paul's saying, I, I, I've previously said a lot of other things, and because of these things I've said for these first 11 chapters, I, I want to jump off of that now. Um, and actually, if you're interested, this is kind of the break in Romans where he, he has spent 11 chapters outlining the gospel, talking about this great gift uh, of Jesus coming, living, teaching us what the kingdom of God really looks like, and then dying and being raised on our behalf. And, and because of all of that, because of this amazing gospel, because of this life-saving reality of the kingdom of God here and now, therefore, therefore, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So I want to jump into that, and I really want to spend a couple of minutes talking about what living sacrifice means. Uh, obviously, living sacrifice Generally, not two words that go together. Paradox here. Uh, oxymoron. Sort of like calling McDonald's good food. <laughs> right? Or talking about a beautiful head of hair in the same sentence with Phil Hughes. <laughs> One for me. Um, <clears throat> but they don't really go together. Living and sacrifice. Not two words that, that generally line up. Uh, and that's because sacrifice is about death and dying, uh, not really about living. Uh, but to understand what Paul is getting at here and why he would throw out kind of an explosive term like this, we have to unpack it for a second. Um, and we need to understand that in the Old Testament, when you're talking about Jewish worship, sacrifice was very, very central to what they understood as worship. Um, and, and we miss it. We skip it because we don't have a sacrificial system anymore. And, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, it, it's great. I think it's a little bit grisly. Uh, if you've been in cultures where they still do this, it's a, it's a little odd. Uh, but this culture would have understood sacrifice in a way we can't. Um, they would have understood that uh, as they got their first fruits and their harvest came out, that they would pick the, the best and they would bring it to God. They would bring it to the house of the Lord and they would give it to be burned on an altar. They understood that if you sinned, if you wronged somebody, if you broke covenant with God, that you would bring an animal, and it would be brought before you and your family, and it would be taken up onto a stone altar, and that animal would be killed right in front of you, and the blood would be drained out, and you would stand and you would watch that animal be drained of its life, Sometimes they would splatter you with the blood of that animal. It, w it was grisly. But for them, this would have been a regular rhythm. This would have been part of worship for them. Uh, and, and I think the, the sacrificial system, if, if you haven't looked at it very much, which I can totally understand, um, it has some really interesting things that provided a lot of freedom for, for these people. I think we kind of skip by it because it turns our stomach, but, but there were some important things that were happening here. First of all, you've got to understand that in the time of a sacrificial system in the Old Testament, the pagan culture was taking sacrifice up a notch. Uh, the sacrificial system outlined in the Old Testament by God was actually a just and a fair sacrificial system in light of a pagan culture that was offering up their firstborn children that felt like they had to appease the gods by self-harm. And so God offers them this system that is fair 
and balanced and has a rhythm to it so that, so that at no point do they think God wants their firstborn child. At no point do they think that they have to claw their own bodies to appease God, that he is not that kind of God. Um, but it, but it, there are some meaningful things here. I think it's fascinating that regardless of, of what sin you had committed, um, that something had to die. Uh, and, and I don't know if that kind of makes you uncomfortable, but when you think about sin, my sin still causes something to die. It breaks covenant. It breaks relationship with me and God. It breaks relationship with me and myself. It injures the relationships I have with other people. Something dies when I sin. So, so this would have been a very vivid picture of that. It would have made it really come alive. You wouldn't have been able to ignore that fact when you, when you committed sin. I think it's also really interesting that you would bring an animal based on what you had done um, and based on your economic kind of standing. So a small sin, maybe you would bring a small dove. A, a larger sin, you really injured or betrayed someone in your community. Maybe you would have to bring a ram or a very expensive bull. That would hurt you financially. If you think about a farming culture, bringing a bull is a huge loss to your family's finances. Maybe it's a loss to your children's dowry. But it would have shown that, that our sin causes pain, and we need to feel the sting and the consequence of that. You know, I, I am a, I'm not a fan of seeing a lot of blood. Anybody else? It turns my stomach a little bit. Um, but we see blood differently in our culture than they did. We see um, our heart almost as like our life source. So as our heart beats, we think of someone being alive. And when we, we, we watch somebody have their last, you know, the last beats of their heart or their heart stops, that, that is what signifies kind of the life source for us culturally. But blood was actually the life source for the, for the Jewish people. Uh, so it wasn't gory and grisly. It was life. And so watching an animal be drained of its life would have meant something really significant. The other thing about a sacrificial system that was, I think, a real gift to these people was, like I said, it provided this rhythm that you didn't have to stay in your sin. There was something you could do very practically to deal with what you had done wrong. So you could go and you could take your sacrifice. You could feel the sting and the loss of that. You could watch something be drained of its life on your behalf. And then you could move on. I, I see a lot of people that never move on from their sin. That don't feel like they can receive forgiveness and just move on. The sacrificial system provided a way to say concretely, you did this and you did this and you did this. You've been through this, this ceremony. You've worshipped. You've repented. Now you can move on. Um, and so the people that are reading Romans... When he says to present yourself as a living sacrifice, their minds would have seen pictures, images, sounds, smells. They would have seen fire on an altar. They would have seen blood in their mind's eye. It would have been a vivid metaphor for them. It would have jumped off the page for them. And, and as new believers that are following Jesus, they also would have been like, but Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice for us. They would have not missed that foundational truth that he was the perfect atoning Lamb of God once and for all. 
for all of humanity, forever. And so they would have known, okay, wait, the sacrificial system, we're done with that. It doesn't mean much anymore. And Jesus came and he died. And he was resurrected for us. And he was the one sacrificed. They would have heard the words of John the Baptist upon seeing Jesus say, look, the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They would have had all those verses that are really throughout. I mean, the New Testament is riddled with verses that speak to Jesus being the once and for all sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for all of us. And, and then Paul would have said, therefore, because of that sacrifice, because of that once and for all amazing gift, because of this gospel, this good news, I want you to offer yourself, your bodies, as a living sacrifice. And they would have gone, So that's the backdrop. That's the context for Paul here. That because of that gift, because of that sacrifice, we then get to offer ourselves in some way, metaphorically, as living sacrifices. And this is going to be our spiritual act of worship. This is going to be how we worship God now. And worship is actually one of the things we're told to do. We're called to do. For those of us that are following Jesus, this is not like something you can decide you're not going to do. Worship is our response. Like I said, we're not asked to atone for our own sins. We're not asked to earn God's approval. We're not asked to work our way to heaven. But we are asked to worship. We are called to worship God. It's our part. And it should come, right, on the best days, it should come as a natural response to that, that gospel, to that gift, to that sacrifice that he's made for us. Uh, worship should burst out of us as we accept and receive love and forgiveness from God. But here's the reality, right? Unless we integrate worship into our everyday, normal, ordinary lives, unless it's integrated, it won't be our natural response all the time. It won't spring up. We won't be faithful. If it's not woven into everything we do all the time, then the temptation will be to just sort of forget that that's what we're called to do. I know that's true for me. I mean, think about your own lives. There have been plenty of times where, figuratively, I have crawled up on that altar and I have said, God, take all of me. I'm, I'm all yours. Do whatever you want. Burn up in me the things that need to be burned up. Change, transform, take it. I'm willing to submit everything to you. There are definitely those times, probably for all of us. But there's also the times that, man, I can go some time without realizing I have stopped worshiping. Somewhere along the way, I have stopped worshiping. I've climbed right off the altar. And that's the temptation. It's a danger. We could start to relegate worship, if we're not careful, to something we just do on Sundays for an hour. We could even start to think of it as only music. And Paul knows this. He knows it has to be more. He knows that Jesus, by his death and resurrection, have changed worship, what it's going to look like, and that 
somehow mysteriously, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so worship is something that is lived in and through us all the time. And it's actually the thing that transforms us and makes us more like our Savior. And that it's going to look like a living sacrifice. It's going to look like death and resurrection all at the same time. This paradox where our death somehow, our submission, our pulling ourselves up on that altar and saying, go ahead. Somehow that becomes life. That that becomes worship. I mean, that's what living sacrifice means for Paul. I mean, he does not want us to bring our firstborn children anymore. Though there are days that sounds good. Anybody else? Um, but he's using this poignant metaphor to help us get an idea of what it really could look like. What it should look like every day, all the time. He doesn't want dead animals. He wants our whole life. Our whole self. Our whole self. But we are so prone to crawl right off of the altar. That's the thing about living sacrifices, right? They can walk right off the altar. They don't have to stick. We intend to give our whole self to him. And pretty quickly, we sneak right off that altar. And, and, you know, we're, we're going to share in the Eucharist, in communion, in the Lord's Supper. And this is one of the rhythms that we've been celebrating for thousands of years that is intended to help us remember this. It's the whole point that we come around this table and we remember the death and resurrection. And we take that into ourselves and we remember that that actually does something in us. And that this should be our worship. This is our call. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. When we understand this whole like living sacrifice thing, this death and resurrection all at the same time, this life thrown up on the altar and submitted to Jesus, we start to realize everything can be worshipped then. Everything. Everything can be worship. Paul goes on after these first two verses, if you want to read it this week, and he, and he goes on to practically talk about what this looks like. Uh, for him, it's not just like about bowing and singing weekly. It's about teaching. It's about encouraging other people. It's about what we do with our money. It's about serving and leading and showing just daily mercy. The, the word actually used for worship here in the Greek is often translated service. It's a work word. Again, not so we can earn God's favor. We already have it. But so we can respond to his goodness. It's the same word here, service and worship. Which is why Paul says, it doesn't really work to be conformed to the pattern of this world. You can't do it both ways. To really worship, to really get into this living sacrifice thing, you cannot just mindlessly go along with your culture. It doesn't work. And, and in fact, the way to not be conformed to the pattern of this world is to climb back up on that altar again and again and again. Somehow in the process of submitting, somehow in the process of, of dying to yourself, you're transformed and you start to look really, really different to the world around you. Holiness springs up. You start to 
look like Jesus to your family, to your neighbors, in your workplace? In worship, as we choose to be living sacrifices, we are transformed. Both are happening. We are changed. Which is important because we as human beings are called to worship and created to worship. I always think it's interesting when people are like, no, I'm not really going to worship God. It's, it's just not my thing. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to worship God, but you will worship something. As human beings, we're wired for it. We're wired to seek out the greater, the other, meaning, purpose, what makes this whole thing function. We're wired to seek that out. And so maybe you don't have to worship God, but you will worship something. And we know that's true. We can look around and see what is our culture worship? Power. Money. Success. A big one. Happiness. The pursuit of happiness. Education. Family. I mean, worship is just simply, right, like what we give our time and our attention to. It's what we're serving. And so you, we will worship something. But as followers of Jesus, we are called only to worship God. He's the only one that deserves our time and attention and service. But that has to be a living sacrifice. That has to be a daily thing we do. Or we will mindlessly fit in with our culture. We will start to worship all those other things. The message translation of this passage is absolutely uh, my favorite translation of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it's just because it's, it's so practical. And this is, this is what it says. This is how it reads. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, your ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you sounds so direct and so straightforward. Take your everyday, your ordinary life and place it before God as an offering. Your time, your money, the things you do for fun, the relationships you have, give it all to him. Drag all of it up on the altar and say, do what you will. Do what you will. Burn up anything that needs to be burned up. Transform anything that needs to be transformed. If there's something that needs to be removed, remove it. If there's something that needs to be redefined, redefine it. But you take it all, your whole self, up on that altar. And this is so practical. That means your hike can be worship. That means your drive in rush hour traffic can be worship. <laughs> it's a harder one. <laughs> Not going to lie. Um, but, I mean, it means everything can be worship. Cooking dinner. Sitting with your three-year-old, going to class, all of it. 
everything we do can be worship. Even singing on a Sunday morning can be worship. All those things can also not be worship, right? If they're not submitted to Jesus, if they're not dragged up on that altar. But all of it, the everyday stuff, becomes worship when it's submitted to God. Author Mandy Smith said, if worship is supposed to be unceasing, a way of life, then the weekly service is just one of the many occasions to worship. The Sunday service is special and significant, not because it's our only opportunity to worship, but because it's a joint celebration of the worship that has been going on all week long, an occasion to remember the reason for the work and a time of preparation for the Monday to Saturday service in the week to come. But that's what living sacrifice feels like. This is not about always changing what we're doing, but acknowledging that what we're already doing is worship if we devote it to God. There's music and euphoria at times, but there's also small daily choices of service, simple acts of selfless love and perseverance, lots of perseverance. It's the kind of worship that makes you sweat and the kind that means that you'll need a nap in the afternoon. I love that. Worship is about the posture of our lives. It's about posturing yourself towards the way of Jesus, a life turned toward God. And, and I think living sacrifice takes effort. I think it takes real effort. I feel like in the course of an hour, depending on what I'm doing, I have to drag myself right up on that altar 20 times sometimes. This takes effort. Effort that we put in not to make God love us, but effort that we put in because he already does. He already does. This is our natural response to God's goodness, our natural response to his gift of grace. And sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's easy. When the music is right, when my life is going well, when my kids are being loving and respectful, when I haven't worked too much, when I've had enough rest, sometimes it feels good to worship, and it comes naturally. It springs right on up. But a lot of the time, it's difficult. When I'm tired, when I'm in the middle of conflict, when I have worked too much, when my kids are not being respectful. And so it becomes a conscious choice, a daily habit, a rhythm that, man, whatever it takes, you grab yourself by the scruff of the neck and you drag yourself up on that altar as many times as you have to. And then somehow, in the course of that kind of obedience, you're transformed. Holiness starts to appear. We start to look like our Savior. It's a posture, a conscious choice, a practical everyday way of living. And it has to be that way. Or we will forget. So what are you worshiping? What are you serving? What are you doing with your time? What are you giving your attention to? Because we are all absolutely worshiping something. We already are. Erwin Lutzer said, said it this way. He said, if we, have, if we haven't learned to be worshipers, it doesn't really matter how well we do anything else. Worship changes us, or it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of Eternity is to change. 
Worship begins in holy expectancy, and it ends in holy obedience. It ends in just doing the things God has called us to do. And so what does that look like for you? What is the next concrete good thing that you can do? What is the next obvious, simple, everyday, ordinary thing set before you today that you can act on? That is worship. May we climb up on that altar again and again and again. And when we have walked off, may we climb right back up. (laughs) Because we're worshiping something. I just pray for all of us, it would be God. Lord, I pray that um, as we take communion in a minute, that we would be, in this moment, fully submitted to you. That we would be a congregation and a family that is coming together today to honor the sacrifice that you have made for us. And that because of that sacrifice, we would respond by following suit. That we would submit our whole selves to you. And then worship could be so much more than music. So much more than our time just here today. God, thank you for the way you challenge us and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.